still so secret Kansas. You're listening to Deep Background. I'm Leo Becerra, filling in for Dave Helling this week, and I'm here sitting with Hunter Woodall, who's the State House reporter at the Kansas Capitol for The Star. How you doing, Hunter? Doing great, Leo. Thanks for having me. So, um, the session is over now. Yes, it is. A surprisingly short session in an election year. A little crazy there at the end, though, right? Oh, yeah. It was crazy at the end of the wrap-up session. It was crazy at the end of the regular session. They managed to find a way to put all their work in until the last minute. And I know that you had some... Um, really late nights right at the end. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What was happening? Sure. So uh, Thursday night, we had a very late night. Um, They were debating a host of measures, but the main one was a Senate vote on a tax bill uh, that would return a tax windfall to to Kansas taxpayers brought about by the Trump tax cuts. Um, And it wasn't clear how much money that would end up costing. Uh, One estimate had about $194 over three years. Um, very contentious debate, and and the and the end of the day, the Senate ended up passing it uh, shortly after midnight. Now we had one last day of the session; it had to end uh, on that Friday. The House came in the next day, and um, after a somewhat lengthy debate, killed the bill on a 59 to 59 vote. So, no tax would fall back to Kansas taxpayers, much to the ire of some Kansas conservatives. Did you get any reaction from readers when you were tweeting about this or reporting about this? People do not seem to like midnight votes, uh, which I'm just shocked by. You know, because I, I personally love tweeting past midnight about uh, the Kansas legislature, but um, folks don't seem to like when lawmakers are doing stuff late at night. You know, they don't like this in the dead of the night type thing um, because. After I wrote about the tax measure, you know, that passed after midnight, uh, my colleague Jonathan Shorman with the Wichita Eagle wrote about an adoption bill, a very controversial one that would allow um, some to turn away LGBT couples, actually pass the Senate um, about, I think it was, you know, roughly maybe 2 a.m. or something like that, maybe it was 1 a.m. So really two high-profile bills passed out of the Kansas Senate very late at night, so very much so this is what happened when you were sleeping. Now, why does that happen? Because it seems like... They know the people who elected them want them to be having these debates in the middle of the day when they can potentially be following, but they still get pushed late at night. Why is that? Why are they able, I guess, to have these debates so late at night? I mean, I have working hours. Well, it goes back to leadership. If you know leadership wants you to go in late at night, you know, again, this is the GOP-controlled Kansas legislature. They can have this go as long as they want to. I mean, we could have been there until 5 in the morning. It doesn't matter as long as they want to keep you there they can keep you there. And I think there's an idea that if you're there late, maybe your will will break on certain votes. I mean, I've heard some folks say no good policy gets made after 12, but you know what happens? I mean, last year, I think it was a post-midnight vote or close to post-midnight vote that ended up rolling back the brownback tax cuts. Um, so you see this every once in a while, especially on contentious issues. I mean, they don't seem to, you know, nobody takes a contentious vote and then goes to lunch. Um, now, I want to switch gears just a little bit. I know voting really late at night is it's kind of a transparency issue because like we just said, people want to know what's happening during the waking hours of the day. Um, But let's talk a little bit more specifically about transparency bills during this session. So um, you had a story recently, um, it was on Sunday, Mm -hmm. right? Talking about the transparency bills that were actually put through the session and how many actually got passed. It was just a handful. I mean, you had, and at the end of the day, they ended up combining some. So a police body cam measure got combined with a uh, child death disclosure measure uh, to make sure everything got passed. And it really ended up just being kind of a grab back at the end. I mean, 
just you know not a lot in the way of okay here's what we're a lot of the goals that people had did not get fulfilled um essentially nothing much ended up getting through the gate um you know and it and people transparency is always that buzzword i mean you kind of seen it in the governor's race this year it's an election year buzzword and i'm still not really clear if people are following through on that um because you know you had a lot of democrats and moderates calling for it conservatives calling for it but at the end of the day there really wasn't much of a finished product According to the story that went up on Sunday, though, four of those Mm -hmm. bills, one of which was combined, actually went through. Can you um, explain to people who aren't familiar with the four, three-ish, that went through um, what they're actually changing for people? So the police body cam bill um, allows victims' families to be able to see footage or audio um, or listen to audio. Um, They have to request it and they have to be given it within 20 days or so. Um, the uh, Child Death Disclosure Bill, Laura's, <laughs> Laura Bauer, my wonderful colleague, is so good about this, essentially allows more information to be released um, in child death cases. Um, There's an asset forfeiture bill to kind of show kind of show more sun, sunlight on at the asset forfeiture stuff and what people are actually, when law enforcement takes this, what they're actually taking. I think it's more, it's not so much policing it as it's just we get a better sense of what they are taking. And then there was another bill. Um, that essentially a lobbyist has to register with the Secretary of State's office to lobby the legislature now under a bill actually supported by conservative Senate President Susan Wagle and Senate Minority Leader Anthony Hensley. Under their bill, you have to register to lobby the executive branch for lobbying the governor. So before, you could lobby the governor and you did not have to be registered. Nobody knows when somebody was lobbying the governor before this bill got passed. Now, is it the opinion of the lawmakers that the strongest version of these bills was actually passed, or did it have stronger language initially and maybe get a little bit less strong? Well, for the most part, those three bills we talked about, I think the um, the lobbying bill, the asset forfeiture bill, and the child death disclosure, um, they either all say the same or got you know, or were changed throughout the process. Um, I know a Democrat, um, Wichita Rep. John Carmichael, really made some changes to the DCF bill, um, the death, child death disclosure bill. But the body cam bill was massively different when it first started out. It used to be that you and I, journalists, could get this info, and then suddenly that evaporated and it became, okay, the families can get this, an attorney for them can get this. Why is that? Well, you know, people really, you know, you, you have a legislature that doesn't exactly like the idea that the media can get all this. You know, the, you, you hear that term a lot. It's not, not journalists, the media, you know, and they get mm-hmm. upset about about us. Um, I think there was some, I know law enforcement really opposed that initial version of the bill. They didn't think they could meet some of the deadlines um, to get that information out there. They were very stressed. And it, you had everybody from, I think, folks in Johnson County to folks in more rural Kansas who were upset at the idea oh, I have to be able to provide this information this quickly. I cannot do that. I don't have the staff to do this. So then that, in the name of transparency, they're like, we can't, we can't do this that quickly. That seems like such an odd excuse to make, considering, for example, in the state of Florida, if we were journalists there, we would be able to get body cam footage very quickly. Well, it's one of those things, um, you know, this was a compromise folks reached. And in each of those cases, I believe, those transparency bills ended up passing with uh, near unanimous votes or, you know, very much like past veto-proof support, which was an odd thing because these were contentious issues, you know, kind of starting out, but everything kind of passed well enough. So you get the idea that, you know, behind closed doors, everybody's like, okay, we want to be transparent to a certain extent. (laughs) To a certain extent, to to the point where what? 
Well, they want. It seemed like they wanted transparency that made conservatives, moderates, and Democrats all comfortable. Which there is not much when it comes to contentious issues that those three groups agree on. In these cases, you know, they mostly agreed, which I, it was interesting. It was kind of the, one of the more telling moments of the legislature where. You know, you had Democrats saying, "Okay, this is as good as we're going to get, so we're going to vote for it." You know, moderates were happy with it, and the conservatives were able to kind of, "Okay, we'll go with this." Mm-hmm. I mean, but you don't you don't really find a way to please all all three of those groups very often, which so that was kind of surprising on this note. Yeah, but it seems like the people who elected these legislators, um, the response that we got when we published our series on um, the lack of transparency in Kansas last November. <laughs> was that, yes, this needs to change. So do you think as a result of maybe people becoming more aware of this issue that um, things could be changing in the future as far as who we elect and where they stand on transparency issues? Well, I can see it becoming an issue for this election year. Now, the Senate, uh, the vast majority of them are not up. I think there's one Senate seat up, and that's because of a an appointment from the last year, but the entire House is up. You know, governor the governor's race is obviously going up, so you have 125 House seats, and the governor uh, for election. I think transparency will be an issue, but it, you know, it's not really clear. I mean, it's not a part. It's not like a bipartisan issue in some ways because you have folks who want transparency, like Chris Kobach wants transparency. I remember him saying this at one of the GOP debates. He wants transparency in recording committee votes, which folks want, but he wants that so he can show that moderate Republicans are voting against Republican interest. So it's interesting. Everybody wants some form of transparency, but it all kind of serves a certain purpose. Now, you talked a little bit about this earlier. Um, There was a bill that was passed very late in the session. Um, At the very end, one of these late night votes um, that was on a very controversial topic. Can you talk a little bit about what that topic was? So the adoption bill, um, it, you know, I believe David Haley, a Kansas, a Kansas senator, a Democrat, made the comments like a vampire bill because it just kept coming up throughout the session. Uh, LGBT folks were very upset about it. There's this idea that it would block, you know, or it could block, it could hinder um, LGBT couples from adopting from uh, religious organizations like Catholic organizations. And <clears throat> it just kept coming up throughout the session, and it just would not kind of go away. Now, the way that it got brought up, uh, and it was really interesting, you know, and the story kind of showed this, is it never made it out of committee. It was never passed out of the committee, but it was amended on the Senate floor, passed, and, I th- and then essentially it was always out there to be passed by the House or the Senate. So it kept coming up, and then eventually it did get forced through. I mean, it barely, it had the bare minimum of votes in the Kansas House. Now, the Senate, I believe the vote was 24 to 15, so, you know, passed what they needed. But the Senate, it was very close. I mean, it would have taken just one vote to block that. Um, and you had, it was all conservatives voting for it, essentially, but there was some key moderates, including Representative Tom Cox, a moderate from Shawnee. And, you know, this is a guy who, you know, he ran as a moderate. He, you know, he voted for the tax increase last year to roll back Brownback's tax cuts, but he voted for this bill. And he absolutely got shredded about it on social media um, because, you know, people were like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And it clearly I saw him the next day. I was very upset about it. But he said, you know, it could have been it, it started out as a worse bill. And I, I helped kind of draft a new one. And to, draft, to get new language, I had to support the bill. But that kind of goes to that little bit of that, you know, behind the scenes type thing of, you know, people just looking at a vote tally don't see that. Mm-hmm. They just see my moderate, you know, Joe co-representative helped pass this clearly controversial adoption bill that the LGBT community really disdains. The way that they got this passed, it was actually, it was a gut and go. 
Exactly. Um, now, we've written a lot about this, but just in case somebody doesn't understand what a gut and go is, can you explain that? Sure. And I, I believe in this case, the bill started out as the Kansas Money Transmitter Act or something like that. And essentially, you know, that that bill was, you know, essentially imagine you have a jar of peanut butter or something like that, and you take everything out of it. And then, you, and then so the peanut butter in this case, the money transmitter bill. And then you take a jar of Nutella, and you're like, I'm going to put the Nutella in the peanut butter jar. So the, you know, it's the Nutella, <laughs> it's a strange metaphor. <laughs> Nutella being this adoption bill gets put into the peanut butter jar, but it's still technically a jar of peanut butter. So that bill number doesn't change, and it still says the Money Transmitter Act, but it's actually this controversial adoption bill. So it's it's incredibly hard for people to track during the session. I mean, I struggle with it, and this is my job. I can't imagine sitting at home and trying to keep track of these bill numbers. I mean, and you know, I have you know. All these staff folks I run to and say, I don't understand this. What bill number is the adoption bill now? Um, so the end of the session is just a flurry of gut and goes and just overall chaos, really, because things just keep changing and evolving and changing. And, you know, very few people actually really know here's the bill number for this bill because you have conference committees, you know, um, negotiations between the House and the Senate, which feature two Republicans from the House, two Republicans from the Senate, and one Democrat from each chamber negotiating the stuff, and anything can change. They can take shells, um, bills that have been passed, empty it out, put in something new. In the story that ran on Sunday, we have a quote from House Speaker Ron Reichman. And um, he says, that's what we had to do in reference to the use of performing a gut and go to get this thing passed. Now, I guess I'm having a hard time understanding why they had to do it. What made this bill the one that they had to do this on to get it passed. Can you, do you have some insight there? Well, it's funny. Uh, folks love the gut and go. You know, when we, when that series ran, the Secret Kansas series ran, people seemed, lawmakers seemed to be the most offended by our writing about the gut and go. Because, I mean, that's that gets used very often, especially at the end of the session. It used to be called the veto session. Now it's a wrap-up session, which just ended. And they love the gut and go because it, it allows them to pass things quickly, you know, and the idea, you know, and the, the argument was, well, the left and the right have both used this. And that's the thing. It, it can get used by either side. Um, but people, they, they've gotten so wedded to this, they don't like the idea of it being out of their toolbox. They like the idea that they can do this. I mean, I can't imagine how things would operate if this got taken away just because they've gotten so used to this crutch, if you will, of using the gun and go to pass bills. Because, you know, they had to finish on, May, on I think it was May 4th this year. Um, without gun go, I don't think they would have been able to pass a host of measures. I mean, that adoption bill probably does not get passed without gun and go. Um, in the same, you know, in that same way, I'm not sure if the tax bill gets passed without gun and go. It's, uh, but I, I'm not sure if that was a gun and go or not. But it's, it's a clear uh, tool at the end of the session that they just love. Well, um, Hunter, thank you for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to me today. Always happy to be here, Leah. Um, after this short break, we're going to be talking to Judy Thomas and Laura Bauer about more secrecy in Kansas. And we're back with Laura Bauer and Judy Thomas, who are both investigative reporters for The Star, and you both worked on The Star's Secret Kansas project that published in November. We talked a little bit about that project um, when Hunter was here during the first half, but um, a lot has happened since that published. Can 
either of you talk a little bit about what the big things were that people should be paying attention to that happened as a result of the project? Yeah, I'll go back a little bit. Within, I would say, a day of it publishing, we were starting to hear from people uh, from the community saying, oh my goodness, we didn't even know what a gut and go was. What do you mean they don't put their names on bills? And we were aware of children dying in the state of Kansas, but not about the secrecy surrounding their deaths. So the public was enraged. We had uh, Representative Stephanie Clayton from Overland Park tell us our constituents are mad at us and they should be. So right away we knew there was going to be some talk. I think we were surprised how much talk. And then what we started to see is the introduction of bills. And Judy has this amazing database that shows the 19 bills that were introduced and what happened to them. What we have seen is four measures technically three bills because they put two together in a gut and go but we'll get into that later um but that two of those measures and one bill will be signed tomorrow by governor collier and it's a big deal and if i if you want me to go into that a little bit that what that does is it has after a child death that the public will now know basic information you know the child's age um the uh, date of death and were there hotline calls what were the findings into the family get services and that's i mean many people didn't know didn't think that ever happened in kansas so that's a big deal and that was one of the really exciting parts about it was to see that dcf yeah. bill get passed and uh but of the other ones the 19 laura mentioned so four majors got passed or will be by tomorrow into law but 15 others did not and 13 of those proposals didn't even get um get hearings and so one and and the important ones that didn't get hearings that we were looking at were the the ones to ban the gut and go procedure which I guess it, maybe Hunter already explained how that process works yeah so he explained a little was, bit of how it works but um you just got some news yes. right, right before we came over here yes, about something that got gut and go twice yeah it was a <laughs> one of the the bills that uh, Governor Collier put out a press release on today saying he would be signing tomorrow, uh, they called it a transparency bill, uh, was I looked it up to see because that wasn't on our, that wasn't one of them we were following. Uh, and it was a, a double gut and go. They, it had started out as one thing and then they stripped the contents, put something else in and that happened twice. So now I have to laugh because the name is now of the bill is Senate Substitute for Senate substitute for House Bill 2386. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. That was a new one on us. Yes, so. we, we, yeah, that's that's pretty pretty rare to see it like that. So what made the four bills that were passed that we wrote about, I guess, stand out? Or what, what made them go through versus the other ones that got killed? Well, on the DCF one, it was pretty easy because it was the first time that DCF itself was behind a disclosure law. Um, Representative Jim Ward, minority leader who's running for governor, had put this up two other times. Uh, he, after the death of Adrian Jones, the little boy in KCK whose body was fed to pigs, after that he really pushed and said, we must know more. He was hearing from people off the record that were too afraid to come forward with their name that there were six or seven intakes what that means is six or seven hotline calls saying this little boy's in danger and he was never removed from the home. So right after the 2015 death of Adrian, Jim Ward pushed that, so did others, but it never got anywhere. It never got out of committee because DCF did not want 
uh, that much disclosure, did not want that much transparency. I think um, with the project Why So Secret Kansas, we had a dad who now lives in uh, Texas who really hit home how keeping that information secret hurts people. And that was the main focus of our project was not, hey, we can't get information, but hey, when you don't give that information, it hurts people. And Mm -hmm. I think when people heard the words of Clint Blancett, whose son was stabbed seven times by his mother as he slept, and he couldn't get information. And two days after he, Caleb was killed, they show up at his house while he's planning the funeral and wants him to sign a gag order saying he won't talk about the agency. I think people were like, how does that happen? And that shouldn't happen. So, but not only was GCF behind this, um, so was Jeff Collier, the new governor. And people, I mean, not one person mm-hmm. voted against it, right? right Either House right. or I will be really years. hard yeah. to vote against something <coughs> like that that's years. gotten so yeah. much, mm-hmm. so yeah. much coverage though, and so yeah. much outrage when yeah. um, our stories went up about Adrian Jones and other children. Right. Now the other, the other bills that you were asking why they didn't, maybe didn't go anywhere. Uh, the gut and go pr- issue has been around since 1990, and it is so ingrained and has become so commonplace. Um, Representative Jason Probst had uh, legislative research do a study this year, and last year found out that 20, almost a quarter of all the bills or bills that were passed into law last year were done through the gut and go process. And the same thing, anonymous bills have been around since almost the turn of the century, and and last year 94% of the bills that were passed were anonymous bills. So it's just so, it, it's just, the, it had become such a culture. And this year, legislative leadership in the House and Senate, you know, they're the ones that are responsible or can push for bills to come forward. Now, uh, House Speaker Ron Reichman did issue an order in January requiring or telling the committee chairs they needed to put the names on bills. And that they, they had some luck at that, but not, not all the bills were that way. And on the Senate side, almost all the bills still are committee bills. And so that, that, that has been part of the problem, too. So I talked a bit with um, Hunter about what a gut-and-go bill is, just in case people weren't sure about it or hadn't heard it before, which if they've been reading our stories, they definitely have. <laughs> But um, would you, Judy, would you explain what an anonymous bill is, just in case people aren't sure what that is? Sure. That is when um, somebody introduces a bill, and they call it, usually those anonymous bills are are committed in the form of a committee bill, so the whole committee has its name on the bill. It'll be like, if it's in the House Judiciary Committee, it'll say Judiciary Committee as a sponsor. And the reason they do that, well, there are different reasons, but some people argue that there's no way you know who's behind the bill that way or who, you know, who's pushing it. Um, but the legislative leaders, especially Senate President Susan Wagle, says that those are good. She likes committee bills because it shows it, they have more clout that way if it's pushed by a whole committee. Sometimes they say people don't, if, it, if somebody doesn't like a legislator, they're going to vote against a bill even if it's a good bill, mm-hmm. if, if it's just in a person's, one person's name. But most states don't do it this way, and not nearly to the extent that uh, Kansas does. Now, there was one transparency bill that was passed that was, I think it was, it sounds like it was connected to this, about um, lobbyists being required to register, right? Does that kind of help the anonymous bills issue at all? Uh, Are they not connected? Yeah, that that one was mostly to just people, lobbyists, or I mean people who are going to 
um, and try to influence the legis or the executive or the judicial branch, we're not required to register as lobbyists before. So that's just a strictly, I would say, a transparency bill to make it more open as to who is trying to influence those uh, branches of government. Who's giving money to right. our lawmakers. Right. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, so like I said before, you both have done a lot of reporting on this, and I imagine you've both gotten a lot of feedback from readers. Can um, Laura, can you start to tell us a little bit of what, what people say when they contact you after reading these types of stories? It is so interesting because a lot of people have their own stories of secrecy, that mm -hmm. things have happened. I think three new ones just came in in the last week. And they, it, something happened in Kansas, and I think it quietly happened, that people just assumed that you could never get anything in Kansas, that that's just the way it was, that that was the culture. I had a senator tell me that we are a private people, uh, our business is our business, and you don't need to know about it. And I think it just became a part of the landscape that you don't get information, that if you try to get information, they'll say, why do you want that? What's your angle? What are you trying to do with that information? Well, that's, you don't have to tell people why you want public information. And so people are starting to tell us, hey, this happened to me here. And we are still, mm -hmm. I mean, we still talk to these people. We still try to see if there are stories there about more secrecy. We're finding it not just on a state level, but a local level. Um, so we're still looking at stories along that line. Um, I think I've heard from a lot of people affected by the child welfare uh, um, industry and uh, they are very ecstatic that they we will now start to get information and I think what needs what people need to understand is the reason why that information is so crucial is after a tragedy if a system does not look itself in the mirror and say this is what we did wrong here then if there is a hole in that safety net another child can go through that same hole and what we are seeing in the death of so many Kansas children is is a bit of a pattern that we're looking at now for a future story and I think the hope is is that if the system will look at itself after each of these tragedies if the public will be able to see what happened in each of these tragedies they will be able to prove on an ongoing basis Missouri has done that Illinois has done that Florida has done that um, I think as we're doing more investigating the system is in a lot of trouble and it's not just with the deaths but it's also with foster kids so people are starting to understand that transparency will help that and it's so interesting because I don't think I've only been reporting here for about 13 and a half years Judy has spent her whole career in Kansas transparency was never a word anybody used it just wasn't was it Judy no, no. <laughs> did you ever hear it in the not in the back legislature? In, no. no no and not back then and Warming. now they now they talk about it, and um, they want. Uh, I just got an email in the last week of, um, "Hey, thank you guys for doing what you're doing, but please don't stop." And I think that's their mm. fear. Their yes. fear is only four measures were passed this year, and that now we're going away, and that so are the Brett Parkers and the Stephanie Claytons and mm -hmm. the Jason Probst and Judy can mm -hmm. talk a little bit about that because she has talked about Jason and and Brett. And I've talked extensively to Stephanie. They're all three coming back, and, with and they're their bringing bills. back bills. Yeah, yeah. So as, lo as long as they get reelected, and and yeah. the House is all up for reelection this November. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's that's that. They say that that's going to be an issue. Some of these legislators are, say they will 
make it an issue in their campaigns, the transparency issue. And so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But but yeah, like Laura said, we talked to uh, some of these people last week at the end of the session to find out what they plan on doing. And, and some of the ones that brought the bills this year said they're definitely coming back. And they're actually going to talk to other legislators and try to get some of them on board. There was one in the Senate, one of the bills, um, Senator Tom Hawk, who's a Democrat from Manhattan, who proposed a bill and it was to uh, require um, to get rid of anonymous bills, to make people put their names on the bills. And he had 22, the bill had 22 sponsors. The Senate has 40 members. That means there were enough to pass the bill, but it never got to come to a vote. It never even had a hearing. So those are the kind of things that they'll be pushing next year. So we'll be seeing, um, providing these people get reelected in the House, and the Senate is not up for reelection. So we will see uh, more uh, plans to get rid of anonymous bills. Jason Probst uh, from Hutchinson says he's going to bring back his bill to ban the gut and go procedure. And then we will also see recorded committee votes and on the House floor, and that's Representative Brett Parker. So they all say they're going to be working, you know, over the next several months to, to bring those, you know, get more, uh, more support behind those. And what's interesting about uh, Senator Hawke's bill is it is a similar bill that Representative Stephanie Clayton mm-hmm. had in the House. And she had uh, 40 sponsors. So she was at 41. She needed what? 63 to pass. Yeah, 63 but, to pass. Yeah, yeah. This but was that's a bipartisan yeah. issue. And mm-hmm. uh, they were saying that because the House Speaker had said in late January that they would no longer have these, that there was an order that he gave to his chairs that you would have a requester or a sponsor in every bill. Well, Judy and I took, it was in April, we took one day, I think it was a Tuesday, we yeah. looked at a House calendar and looked at all 73 bills on that House calendar for that day. And when we first looked at it, we thought, we went one by one, and there were, I believe, 12 or 13 that have sponsors, and that is it. Wow. And mm-hmm. we started making calls, and we we're like, okay, you know, uh, 80% do not have sponsors, and you said you were doing this. Two days later, 18 more bills had names put on them because they went back and did the work. It is an IT issue of putting it in the computer, but, you know, there's many people that say it has to be a law because the House Speaker changes. And this House Mm -hmm. Speaker may want, you know, names on bills. Another one may not. So, but there was, in uh, Stephanie Clayton brought it up again to an amendment to another transparency bill, and she was shot down pretty quickly. So it's a culture change. And as Judy and I, as we continue to report on this, it's going to take baby steps. Mm -hmm. You know, four big baby steps were taken, and uh, but nobody expected a giant leap. And so we'll just see if that ever comes. But I think there are people fighting for it. Uh, And you you have to give some some props at at this point to uh, Governor Collier because he is saying, I'm going to be more transparent. Now Mm -hmm. it's up to us to check to see if he is. And we can't stress enough how important the legislative leadership is in getting these bills to the floor and even through committees. Uh, because they do, they do can put a lot of pressure on the committee chairs too to bring them up. Mm-hmm. And one of the funny ones that we came across, one of the transparency bills was called the Kansas Transparency Act, and it passed one house, and it would have required uh, video recordings and audio of. Well, right now the House and Senate floor are online, and you can watch those if you go to kslegislature.org. You can watch those live, but a lot of the committee hearings are not. Some of the big ones are, but are uh, but are not 
audio or video recorded. And so this bill would have provided that. It passed the House, or the a House committee, goes to the House floor, and it was the second up for debate, I mm-hmm. think, on the House floor uh, back in April. And then um, apparently when legislative leaders found out that Stephanie Clayton was yeah, and, a, two and others. T- a couple yeah. others were going to try to amend their bills into that since they hadn't gone anywhere, all of a sudden that the Transparency Act bill gets dropped to the bottom of the House calendar yeah. and it never resurfaced. They Which didn't is, want those amendments yeah. on there. Yeah, they yeah. didn't want those. The so exact anyway, that, opposite and, of transparency. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and leadership, they're the ones who control the House calendar, you know, what comes up. So Now, yeah. for people who are listening who, who have heard both of you and Hunter say that there's going to be some people who are up for re-election pretty soon, um, what can those people do to make Kansas more transparent? Because I'm sure they're wondering. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I will say uh, repre- former Representative John Rubin, who really was the uh, kind of king in Kansas for a while of pushing transparency and they known as Rubin Rules and, and trying to push things. He and Judy mm-hmm. can talk a little bit more about it. But he suggested when Judy was talking to him that ask these people, you know, when you're seeing somebody at your front door who's running for something, say, mm-hmm. where do you stand on transparency? Where do you stand on anonymous bills? Tell me what gut and go. Would you favor that? Would you, you know, and what do you think of their efforts? And he said, basically, right, Judy, that yeah. you can't ask enough questions. Yeah, and he they said have be, to be specific. Direct. Yeah, because yeah. he said these people will just say, oh, I'm for transparency, but ask them, well, what are you going to do yeah. about it? And that's the kind of things that the public can do. And go to these town hall forums, go to these legislative coffees and you know uh, put, put their feet to the fire mm-hmm. ask them those things and ultimately vote yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> yes, that's think, the most important I think Friday mm-hmm. no it would have been Thursday evening into Friday morning uh, did a lot for a mm-hmm. lot of constituents and voters in Kansas when they at 141 in the morning voted on the most controversial bill this session which was the adoption bill and the religious freedom that angered a lot of people because people had gone to bed. Um, the House didn't even bring it up until, what, 11.20? Yeah, it was after 11. Uh, and uh, and they have to finish by midnight, yeah. I believe, on the House side because of their rules, but the Senate doesn't. And so. And it was a gut yeah, and go. It was, yeah, and, and, and that one was <laughs> another yeah. gut and go. And so there were um, a lot of furious people. I know child advocates on the Missouri side and the Kansas side have gone to social media and said, you have to get involved. You have to tell people no more you know, 1.30 a.m. votes, no more taking a bill that had died in a committee at the end of March and putting it into a vehicle, is what they call mm-hmm. them, uh, on the within the last 24 hours of session. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I do think that uh, the average voter is getting involved. We're seeing it, don't you oh, think? Oh, yeah. We even had, uh, you were asking about response to the series. We had a woman from southeast Kansas, Independence, Kansas, who was so thrilled to see that she wasn't alone in her fight because she's been going to city council meetings and trying to get records and information for years. And so those those people are, and, and they, they got involved. She came, we held two town hall meetings or forums in, involving legislators and they were both packed and, and they both got a, a, a lot of attention. And she came up from Independence, Kansas to sit in on one of those. And so, yeah, people just need to really start paying attention and getting involved. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, thank you both for taking some time and and talking about Kansas transparency again. Um, 
and we're going to keep covering this, right? You're both yes. going to oh, be yeah. keeping yeah, yeah. covering this. Yes, and, it's, mm-hmm. and when the session starts up again, we will be there. You know, I'm not a political mind, ask anybody. I've become one a little bit. Judy is the expert from years <laughs> and years and years ago. So, But I think that what's most... Uh, encouraging and refreshing to us is that the average person is now involved mm-hmm. you know I hear it at my kids school I hear it um, when I go to different events we go out and talk about the project and people was like they're like how did gut and go even exist they don't why do you know other states not do it and why can Kansas so that's mm-hmm. encouraging because I think people are educated and that's the mm-hmm. first step yeah definitely um, again I've been talking to Laura Bauer and Judy Thomas about secrecy in Kansas. I'm Leah Becerra, filling in for Dave Helling. He'll be back next week. You're listening to Deep Background. <laughs> <laughs>